Not long ago, I was watching a video online about how to survive a stampeding crowd. It's like, that's a pretty random thing to be looking at, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. It, I can't remember the exact circumstances for how I find, found myself uh, reading about this and looking this up, but it was something that I was reading about. And I was just contextualizing this even within my own life as I think about, okay, where, where would I even be in a situation where there might be a stampeding crowd? And we think, well, there's thunder over Louisville. There's a pretty big crowd. There's thousands upon thousands of people who are there. There's different situations. I, there's always every year, there's uh, at least there, there used to be more so, I think, than in recent years. But you know, I've heard of stories like of the Black Friday deals, people rushing to try to get into, get the best deals and all this stuff. Now it's the pink Stanley Cups. Oh, dearie me. Yes. It is insane. The concept of, of a stampeding crowd to get items is just, it is, it is insane. But it happens. There are people that have these desires so much that they're pursuing something so intently that they have no care about the people around them. And then you think of other situations where uh, perhaps some catastrophe strikes, and so perhaps down on the riverfront, thunder over Louisville, something goes down, something occurs that causes the crowd to run away in terror of what is there. These can be very dangerous scenarios. It is easy to be knocked to the ground and be trampled, and in scenarios, people literally have been trampled to death in situations like that. In those kinds of scenarios, though, I I don't know if you've ever wondered, what is it that actually causes these individuals to, to perish? We might think, oh, well, they're being stepped on and stuff, and that's actually not the cause of death in most situations. In most cases, the people end up suffocating because they are not able to breathe because of the weight of, yes, it's being trampled, being stepped upon, their lungs aren't able to take in the air that is necessary, and it's actually possible to even remain upright in a crowd like that and yet lose consciousness from suffocation because the crowd can press in so tightly together that it squeezes your airways and you're not able to draw sufficient breath. So how do you guard against this? What do you do? How do you protect yourself? How do you survive? Well, the video I was watching went through several key tactics. First, it's important to try to take a, a wider stance so that it makes it more difficult to knock you over. You have a lower center of gravity. And then next, it's important to get your arms up, almost like in a fighting stance, because as you get your arms in here like this, it makes it more difficult to press in and to compress your lungs, compress your airways, and it gives you just a little bit more space for you to push out if you need to so you can draw your breath and those sorts of things. If you are knocked down, it's, you can you know, gather yourself into the fetal position on your side. And it's important not to be on your back or your front, but to be on your side because then you're able, it helps your airways that way too. And your head, of course, over, your hands over your head so you can protect your head. And then first opportunity that you get, you try to get up, right? So you're not on the ground. You want to get up as quickly as possible. And the video talked about how, you know, there are sometimes these crowd surges where there are be these movements where everything kind of surges forward and then there's gaps in the crowd that's created, so try to zigzag through those as quick as you can to find your way to safety and to get out. Different tactics that you can go through to try to protect yourself when everything around you is falling apart and going terribly. In many ways, as I was watching that video, I, it occurred to me that there's really an apt metaphor here for 
spiritual life. If we want to remain steadfast and stable, there are certain things that we would do well to observe within our lives in order to protect our spiritual lives so that when everything is chaos all around us, we can, we can keep our hands, we can keep our heads, we can breathe steadily even in the midst of the chaos. And various biblical writers use the language of strength, stability, steadfastness, being unshaken in the midst of life's storms, etc., to communicate the importance of whatever truth that they were writing about and communicating to the biblical audience. So the biblical writers, they would warn about different things that, that would cause us to be tossed to and fro, and we think of a passage that, that uses that language. It causes us to lose our stability in life, and then the writers commend us to certain knowledge or to certain practices that would help us gain our stability so that we would not be knocked around, so that we would not be constricted to the point of suffocation and death. Just a sampling of several of these passages, we have Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, where Peter wrote, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. There's the concept of stumbling, the concept of falling. And, and uh, immediately before this, in the context of this, Peter was commending them to be building certain Christian virtues into their lives that would guard them against stumbling. Later on in chapter 2, he warns about false teachers. He says that they have eyes full of adultery, they're insatiable for sin, and they entice unsteady souls. Well, they're individuals that are unsteady in their walk. They, they, they do not know how to keep their feet. They are going to be more susceptible to these false teachers. So finally, in chapter 3, he gives his final exhortation as he writes, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but by contrast grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, and he spoke about how we can be easily manipulated by the world, and he gives us a solution to that problem. We read this, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, what are they for? Well, they're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right? There's, there's maturity, there's, there's building up, there's strength, there's stability being communicated there. Well, what's the purpose of that? Well, to what end? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Think of a flag that's just flapping in the wind. It, it's, it doesn't have a mind of its own. It doesn't have a way to, to secure itself. It's just blowing whichever way the wind blows. That's the direction it's going to be tossed. Similarly, a ship on the sea when there's a storm that's raging and the storm is just, it's just blowing the ship around wherever it pleases. But Paul says the Lord has given us an anchor for our souls. And we don't have to be tossed around. 
He has given us leaders to the church in order to teach the church and to equip the saints for warfare and for service. The goal of this bill is to build up the body of Christ, that we would be mature in Christ. And the result of that maturity is this stability that is built. No longer tossed around by human deceitfulness. We've been equipped for the battle. Stable in the faith. Paul teaches the church in Corinth about the reality of of the resurrection and things to come and, and the hope that we have in Christ. And he ends chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians with these words, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labors are not in vain. That concept of steadfast, it speaks of a, a persevering spirit, a, an endurance, a fortitude in the face of adversity that says, no, I'm going to widen my stance, I'm going to plant my feet so that whatever comes against me, no, I can just lean into that, I can face that because I am steadfast, immovable. This is what Paul wanted to see in the lives of the Corinthians. Other churches were excelling in these areas. I think of Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And in that context of this passage, if we were to, if you were to look this up and see the surrounding context, you would see Paul is urging the church to, to press on and to be firmly rooted in Christ and built up in Christ, firmly established in the faith. There's all these, these concepts of being rooted and grounded and stable. And here they were, pursuing good discipline, and they had stability in their faith as a result. Likewise, he, Paul thought highly of the Thessalonian church for similar virtues. You know, we, we're moving through the book of First and Second Thessalonians on Wednesday nights, and, and we saw in the beginning of our study this passage right here that Paul says he, how he remembers before, God and, before our God and Father the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that the Thessalonians were exhibiting. Again, there's that steadfastness, there's that perseverance, there's that endurance concept. Just a few more passages Paul tells Timothy. You, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want to see you built up, I want to see you strong in the faith. And then finally, we have the iconic text of Ephesians 6 that is so familiar to us. Finally, my brothers, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13 says, having done everything to stand. Verse 14 says, stand firm, therefore. This this theme is, is repeated consistently by the Apostle Paul. Be strong, be strengthened, be steadfast, be stable, be firmly rooted, be built up. That theme and that language runs all throughout the New Testament. It is consistently how the New Testament writers thought about the doctrine that they were communicating 
how it grounds us, it stabilizes us, provides us that necessary foundation. And then the life that we are to live, the practices that we are to exhibit, how it, it, it strengthens us, it reinforces us, it, it functions as a, as a steadying force for us. As they were looking to equip the church for the work of the ministry, this is a consistent theme. Last week, I took us through a survey of various passages of Scripture that talk about the nature of the Word of God, what the Word of God accomplishes, the power of the Word of God, all those things, the results that the Word of God brings upon those who give themselves to it, who engage with the Word of God consistently over time. And again, I just, just take this as another opportunity to encourage you. If you haven't selected a Bible reading plan, if that's not a discipline that's built into your life, I just encourage you all the more to give yourselves to that and to dive into that. But I spoke about how personal engagement in the Scriptures, that's going to be the number one factor in your life if you are going to be a stable, mature believer in Christ or if you are going to be immature in the faith, if you're going to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, the deceitfulness and the cunningness of man, the number one factor in your life is going to be your engagement with the Word of God. So I distributed that book, that primer on biblical literacy. I encourage you to be engaged in the Word of God. If you want to build this stability, if you want to see this strength in your life, well, this is how. This is where it begins. It begins with the embrace of the gospel of Christ, recognizing we have no means of our own salvation, of our own stability. That's the foundation. That's the base. And then from there personal engagement with the Word of God that reinforces the truth of the gospel and builds that strength and reinforces what the Spirit of God is working in your heart and in your life. That was last week's sermon. What do we do from there? How, what, what comes from that? If, that? if that's the base, if that's the foundation, if that's where everything must begin, well, how do we build upon that foundation? How do we structure the building from there? Our leadership team has spent several hours thinking through and praying through and, and reflecting over what would the Lord have for Pillar Fellowship in the year 2024? What, what do we want to see God do? What do, we, what do we want to accomplish in this year? And of course, we recognize that we are wholly subject to the work of the Spirit and the work of the Lord in the midst of that, but, but, but there are things that we hope that God will do in and through us. And one of the fruits of that discussion is this emphasis on the concept of building stability and strength within our lives, individually, within our households, then as a corporate body as well. How do we strengthen us as a fellowship? How do we strengthen our body together? And then how do we translate that out to a community that is so desperate for the hope of the gospel of Christ? How do we help a watching world around us, see their need for the grounding in the gospel of Christ, their need for stability in Christ, and communicate them the hope of the gospel. As we've been reflecting on these things and kicking around these ideas, there's a couple of things that stood out to me and a few things that just really struck me as I was just reflecting upon all the things that that make 
pillar fellowship, pillar fellowship. All of, all of, we've got different documents, we've got different statements, we've got all these different things. And as I was reviewing those things, it really struck me that all of the things that we try to emphasize, all of the, of the things that we articulate as our core values, all of those things lend itself to this emphasis that we want to see strength and stability built in our lives individually, in our homes, as families, as a corporate church body, and then what we hope to export into our community as we get the gospel out. Think of our name as a church, for starters. Pillar Fellowship. What does a pillar do? What does a pillar represent? A pillar as it stands. You, you think of uh, ancient ruins around the world. What remains of some of these ancient buildings? Often it's, it's those pillars that we see still standing. The whole building is gone, but those pillars remain. Communicates that strength and that stability, longevity. A pillar, it supports a structure. It, it stands there and it, and it is strong, it is stable, and it lasts even through the earthquakes that have occurred, even through all the, the wars that have happened around the world. They, it stands strong. Pillar fellowship. Pillar fellowship. We are a fellowship. We have a group of, of individuals coming together. That, that word fellowship, is, it, it's, kinda, it's a little bit cheesy, but it's like, oh yeah, we're a bunch of fellows in the same ship, right? We're all in this boat together, right? Here we are together. We're, we're a body, right? We're, we've come in together. We should have common goals, common objectives, common uh, things that we hope to accomplish. Where is this boat going? Where are we steering towards? Where are we trying to get together? We're supposed to support one another, help one another. As, as we live the Christian life, we are all fellows together, coming together, seeking to encourage one another in the walk and in the faith. Pillar fellowship. And of course, the name of our church is really drawn from a biblical text. This is, it it's comes straight from 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul is writing that, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, family, brothers, sisters, that fellowship concept. The household of God, which is the church of the living God. We do serve, serve a living God. He is a God who has spoken. He is a God who is alive. He is a God who is active. He's a God who gives life. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. The pillar, spoke of what that communicates, that strength, that stability, that, that support, holding something up. And that word buttress, it's a unique word. It speaks of a fortifying structure. It, it, it provides defensive support. When the enemy seeks to press in and, and attack, we are called to defend the truth. We are a, a pillar. We uphold the truth. We are a buttress. We defend the truth. So our name as Pillar Fellowship is really flowing from this text that is to communicate something about who we're called to be as, as a strength, stability, mutual support that is found within our fellowship that we can then show to a watching world around us. We are Pillar Fellowship. Then there's our purpose statement. 
we hang these banners on the wall, and I really do hope that it's not just nice artwork for us. I mean, it's, as far as artwork goes, it's pretty plain, but it's, it's just the words, right? It's just up there. But these are intended to be ever-present reminders of who we are and what our mission is as a church. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming Christ that every individual in our reach might hear, believe, and follow Him. And then our back banners remind us about the need for them to hear. How will they hear without someone communicating the truth of the gospel? We need to believe that these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we would pursue a life of following Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, the words of Christ. This is why we're here. We exist to glorify Him. He alone is worthy. There's, there is no higher aim as the, there's a classic catechism that asks, that begins with this question, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? That is, that is why He has placed us on this earth. We exist to glorify Him. Well, how do we do that? By proclaiming Christ proclaiming the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His glorious lights. starts with the gospel of Christ. starts with embracing that for ourselves and then learning what it means to follow everything that Christ has commanded, as it says in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The end goal that everyone within our reach, we can't reach everyone because we don't have access to everyone, but there are individuals that we do have access to that are within our sphere of influence. Everyone within our reach might hear the gospel of Christ, that they would have the opportunity to respond to that message with faith in Christ, that they might believe Then all of us together would pursue the path of following Jesus Christ. We want to follow Him. And if you think about it, is if, if we're following Christ, if we're living our lives as He has commanded, if we're ordering our lives according to what God has said, then the end result will be all, all those passages of Scripture that talked about the stability in the faith and that steadfastness and that strength, all of those things will be built and come about because we're following Christ what we want to see. Of course, this statement, they have these different passages of Scripture. This, is, this statement was crafted flowing out of these texts of Scripture. Well, as we have pursued this goal, this is, this is what we want to see accomplished. This is, this is our purpose. This is our mission. We have core values that are part of our church core values that are articulated in such ways to help us stay on task, to help us remind us, okay, this is what we want to see accomplished. This is, this is what we want to do. Well, how do we go about doing it? Well, everything that we do as a church, all of, all of our themes, all of our emphases, everything should be governed by and ordered by these guardrails of ministry, our seven core values. First core value is that is sound Bible teaching. We practice expository preaching and teaching with practical application on the, of the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
first and foremost, everything has to begin with this. That's what last week's sermon was all about, right? The Word of God, it has to be the Word of God. And this is how we know what the gospel is in the first place, because God has told us in His Word. This is how we know what it looks like to follow Christ, because God has told us in His Word. This is where everything begins. This is how we know what false doctrine is. This is how we know what sound a doctrine is, because we are people of the book. Godly Bereans, seeking out the Scriptures to see if these things are so. This is why our habit is to, to preach sequentially through books of the Bible, doing a bit of a topical message today, reviewing some of our, our documents and why we do things the way we do things here at Pillar. But usually, we're, again, we're walking through books of the Bible. We're moving through the book of Mark. I'll be back in the book of Mark next week, and by God's grace, this year we'll finish the book of Mark. We're going to be moving through all that passage of Scripture because we want to see the whole counsel of the Word of God. We don't want to miss a single inspired word. We want to know everything that God has said. And what that means for us. So we can live in light of it. So this book really is where the journey to strength and stability begins. It is with God's revelation to us. And if anything that we do as a church, if anything we do as individuals is out of step with what God has revealed here, it will only lead to harm. It will only lead to instability within our lives. So our primary means of growth and stability is our time in the Word. Second core value is theocentric worship. We worship and exalt the triune God to bring Him glory, not only in music and in corporate gatherings, but in all of life. This, this, this emphasis, this core value of worship, it's, you know, in our culture today, we often talk about when we're singing songs, we talk about that as the worship portion of our time together. And this is worded in such a way to communicate to us that it's not just music. Worship extends far beyond the times of music. Yes, music is worship. It should be worship. Right? It should reflect and flow out of a heart of worship. But there's so much more to that. We can worship God with how we perform our work how we do our daily chores, how we prepare our food can be worship, how we parent our children, the choices that we make, how, how we pursue our schoolwork, how we do our everything in life can all be worship. And our job as a church family, as a corporate gathering together is to direct one another unto the Lord, to help us to lift our eyes upward to the one who is worthy of our worship, who is, who is the one who can provide His strength. This morning in our prayer time, we were looking at Colossians chapter 1. I pray that you would be strengthened in the might of God. That was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. It's, he was directing their eyes unto the one who can provide strength for us. Theocentric worship. Speaking of prayer, fervent prayer is our third core value. We engage in regular fervent prayer because it is commanded, effective, loving, and edifying. The Word of God has told us that prayer is effective, that God has purposed to accomplish His purposes through the prayers of His people. 
That's really an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that God would accomplish His purposes through us. And we have seen a little bit of what I would say, I don't know if a correction is the right word, but perhaps just trying to bring about more balance within the life of our ministry. When we shifted our Sunday school hour from a time of teaching to a time of, of prayer, it is with this core value in mind that, you know, we want to see this built into our lives in a more intentional way. Yeah, sure, we do times of prayer during the morning worship service, but just corporately as, as we pray with and for one another. That, that shift was intended to to try to bring about more balance with our core values and emphasize the necessity and the importance of prayer with and for one another. But through prayer, we are seeking the face of the one who can answer our prayers. He is the one who is able to bring about that strength and that stability within our lives. We're seeking Him. We are commanded to pray and promise that when we pray, God will answer in accordance with His Word. So we think of the Lord's Prayer and everything that comes to that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything that we need, Lord, provide that for us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a prayer for strength. It's a prayer for stability before the Almighty God who can accomplish all those things. From there, as we look around us to people to our right and our left, before us, behind us, life on life, discipleship, we help one another follow Jesus, and we intentionally invest in developing leaders both for the home and for the church. We recognize that building strength and stability is a corporate effort. Investing in the lives of one another is, has to be part of our lives as co-laborers in the gospel, as, as uh, using that cheesy analogy again, mold all of us fellows in the same ship together, discipling one another loving one another, challenging one another. If we, if we truly want every individual within our reach to hear, believe, and follow Him, then we must work arm in arm together to accomplish this. It is a corporate effort. It's something that we encourage one another to do. Discipleship helps build strength and stability into the lives of one another. It's a reciprocal relationship. And as we go out from here, we want to see this strength and stability in the lives of others. And so we have a core value of gospel-driven outreach. We serve and reach out to our community with the gospel, and we support and send church planters globally. And this is something that we value. We've been shown grace. We've been shown mercy. We've received the love of God. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've seen God at work building within our lives. We, we see how there are some things that, that we struggled with, and we don't struggle with those things anymore. There are other areas where we see God is convicting us of sin and, and challenging us and opening our eyes to other areas, and we see God at work, and we want that same work of God in the lives of other people. We want to see God's mercy go out. 
We want to see the lost saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. We want to see our loved ones embracing the gospel. We want to see lives strengthened and stabilized in the gospel. So we reach out. Over the, of the, over the years, we've done different things to try to reach out to our community. We've done door hangers. We've gone down to the big four station, passed out gospel tracts, open air preaching, all those different things to try to get the gospel out. And that's something we want to see happen all the more through our fellowship as we strengthen ourselves and others. And by God's grace, one day we will support and send out missionaries, church planters around the world who will bring this same message of the gospel of Christ to a world that needs it. Sixth core value is Christian fellowship. We gather to encourage, edify, and exhort one another so that we may not lose hearts. Of course, this has some relationship to the core value of discipleship. But this value articulates why it is that we gather together. We do gather to encourage. We gather to edify. We gather to exhort one another so that we may not lose hearts. Have you ever wondered why, okay, if, if, if reading the Bible is the most important thing, if, if personal engagement with the Word of God is, is really the most important thing for our spiritual lives and our spiritual stability within our lives, well, then why do we need the church? I could just stay at home. I'll just read my Bible at home. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just study the Word and, and, just, and just see what God has said, and, and, and that'll be enough. Why is it that, that Christian fellowship is so important? Why is gathering together such an important thing that we emphasize and we say is good and right and necessary in the life of a believer? Again, this building of strength is a cooperative effort. It is through Christian fellowship that we hold one another accountable. We challenge one another. We encourage one another. Scripture tells us that we will be attacked by the evil one. That there will be spiritual forces of darkness that will move against us. And those most susceptible to the attacks of the devil are those who are alone and isolated from God's people. See, we shouldn't treat Sunday morning as just a time that we, hey, you know, we just gather together, we sing our songs, because, hey, we like songs. We like to sing. They, they make us feel good. We get those warm, fuzzy feelings. That's not why we should gather. It's not to say having warm, fuzzy feelings is wrong. I'm not saying that that's necessarily something we should seek to avoid altogether, but those emotional reactions may not be informed by truth. And gathering together should not just be a time where we just come and we just put on our smiles, we just pretend like everything's okay, because, hey, we got to put on a face, we got to put on a show. No, we should treat this as an opportunity to challenge one another in the Word, to encourage one another, to find out how, how we're doing, to, to be equipped by, with, and for one another. And it's in this corporate gathering as we worship the Lord together, as we come and recognize who we are before the Lord together, or partaking of the Lord's table, reminding us of our common dependence upon the Lord, we have an opportunity to sharpen one another in the faith. 
And if we isolate ourselves from that, if we, if we pull ourselves out and say, well, you know, I don't need that in my life, we miss out on all the opportunity that God has given us through the corporate gathering. Not to mention that if we are going to be in obedience to the Word of God, if we're going to follow Christ as He has said for us, the Word of God has made it very clear for us that we're not to forsake the assembly. But this is to be a discipline that is important for our strength and our stability, and we must not neglect it. And finally, our final core value is that of others-oriented service. We selflessly serve others both in the church and in the community as an expression of the love of Christ. You know, if we were to go back and look at all of the different texts that we looked at already today about strength, about stability, about not being tossed around, we would find that each of our core values is somewhere in the context of all of those passages, including service. Thinking for service, that passage from 1 Corinthians, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. It's, it's service to others. It's, it's the work of the Lord, serving others. It's amazing what happens when we give of ourselves to help and serve one another. Yes, there is a blessing that is extended to the person who is receiving that help and that benefit, but there's something that is built within us as well as we give of ourselves to others. God has designed the world in this way that we are not isolated individuals who never engage one another, but, but we fellowship with one another, we serve one another, and in so doing, we build those relationships, we build strength and stability through service. And so truly, we can only be self-fulfilled and live self-fulfilled lives when we are willing to spend and be spent for others, as Paul says to the Corinthians. I'm willing to spend and be spent for your soul's sake. So these are our core values. These are the things that, that we have decided they're important to us, that we value. These are things that God has said in His Word will lead to your strengthening in the faith, to lead to your stability so you won't be tossed around, so that you will be prepared for whatever it is that the, the world, the flesh, and the devil brings against you. You will be ready to do everything to stand if you are pursuing what God has said is good and right. And that comes through the corporate body. Now, I, we acknowledge and we recognize that as a church body, we don't do all of these things perfectly. We don't. It's just a reality. I do think there are some things that we do do well as a church body. I think there are some areas that we excel in. Other areas, as we think about these things and reflect upon them, I think that we could stand to see some development and growth in those areas. And I don't say that as as an indictment to try to, make, like, try to bring like a guilt trip upon anyone. We're, we're all learning, right? We're all in this process of growth together. As a church plant, we're really kind of in the toddler stage. We're just kind of figuring out how to walk. We're learning together. We're growing together. And by God's grace, we will see growth within our lives individually and within our corporate body together, but we need to extend grace to one another as we figure out how to take these steps of faith together as we seek to see these areas of strength and stability built within our body, within our fellowship. 
we need to have that grace for and with one another as we learn and grow. But it is in pursuit of these things that the Word of God says that will lead to our stability and growth within our lives. So this concept of strength, stability, steadfastness, endurance, all of these words, these, these concepts, it's going to be something that by God's grace and, and should the Lord at tarry is going to be a bit of a theme and an emphasis for us as we move forward into this year, the year 2024. I want to see your households strengthened. I want to see you as an individual built up in the faith and strengthened in the faith. I want to see your households strengthened. I want to see our, our church body as a whole strengthened. And these are the components that will take us there. I want to see the same things built within the lives of, of whoever that, that next household is that will, by God's grace, be a part of Pillar Fellowship, the church that we don't even, the individual that we don't even know that we've come into contact with yet. We want to see their home strengthened, them as individuals strengthened. Whoever it is that the Lord gives us the opportunity to reach and to minister to. Every house every building, every structure begins with a foundation. We have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. We have the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We have the sure Word of God. And upon that foundation, we want to see things built that will glorify our grand architect, the Lord our God. After all, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We want to see that built. And it is as we give ourselves to these things that the Word of God says, as we give ourselves to these core values, to our purpose statement, to living up to the name of this church, we're seeking to build upon the foundation these good and necessary things that will construct a stable and secure building that will last for many years to come bringing the hope of the gospel of Christ to a world that so desperately needs it, a beacon of light in the darkness, an anchor for the soul in the midst of a turbulent world, a sure foundation in a world that is built on shifting and sinking sand. I do hope and pray that God builds us and strengthens us. I pray that that's true in your life as an individual. I hope that's true as for your household, in your homes. I pray that that would be true corporately for our entire church body. And I hope and pray that God adds to our number and then we can see that same stability built in their homes as well. Not because numbers are everything, not because we're just trying to build numbers up so we can feel good about ourselves. I hope that would not be our motivation because Christ is everything for us. He has given us everything. He has provided us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we want more people to have access to that truth. We want more people to hear, to believe, to follow. We want more people to be strengthened And so, with that in mind, I want to close with this text. I'm going to close with Psalm 121. 
a song of ascents. This was a psalm that was sung as the people would have approached Jerusalem up to the holy hill to worship the Lord. The psalmist says this, this is a song of ascents, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You, Lord, that You are the one who provides strength and stability. You have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I do pray that we would look unto You, that we would lift our eyes and see where our help comes from. It comes from You, the Lord. You would build this within us. Lord, help us to live up to our name as Pillar Fellowship. Help us to live up to the purpose for which we have identified that we exist, to glorify You by proclaiming Christ that everyone within our reach might hear, believe, and follow. And may we be faithful to Your Word as You have taught us and the core values that flow from the principles that You've given us in Your Word that we would pursue being faithful teachers of the Word of God, that we would give ourselves to worship and prayer, that we would disciple one another, fellowship with one another, that we would be faithful to bring the gospel to a a world in need, that we would live lives of service to one another as an expression of the love of Christ. And through all of this, that you would build us, strengthen us, bring stability in a world that is so unstable, pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.